0: Thank you for entering into that time of worship, and thank you for being back with us for what is the third and final talk in our series, Room at the Table. And I think what's going to happen in the next few moments, is many of you who just thought, you know what, my role in evangelism uh, is not even a possibility. There's nothing that I could do. You maybe just lack, uh, lack confidence in your ability. Uh, to be able to be a part of the process, to see people come to Jesus. And I think that for many of you, that is going to change today, even if you're like a newer Christian. And I'm like, hey, I'm just barely a Christian myself. How can I uh, be a part of people coming to Jesus? And I think you're going to be encouraged with this. And uh, week one, we took time to talk about how important that it is for you and I to become more like Jesus, how that we need to be his hands and how that we need to be his feet how that you and I need to have his heart, how that we need to have his backbone and, and be strong, how we need to have his spine, how we need to have his mouth and communicate. And then week two, last week, that's what we talked about. How do we com- communicate the gospel? How do we verbalize our faith? How do we put, um, and we, we did, did that with great detail. How do we really, and I walked you through, how can you just sort of take the message uh, of Jesus and how can you communicate that? And a lot of you took good notes on that because it just gave you some confidence that you can share your faith, that you can communicate the gospel and that how God is able to use that to bring people, uh, unto himself. Now, as we wrap up, uh, this today, we're going to make certain that our mission, our mission as a church and individually, that our mission is in alignment with the mission of Jesus and his mission is uh, thankfully, is exceedingly clear to us, and uh, here's a couple of verses I want you to see. I want you to note them down somewhere. You can go back and look at them later in greater detail. Therefore. Go and make disciples. It's important for you to understand understand that Jesus was not making here a commencement speech at at a seminary uh, or at a at a Christian university. He's just talking to ordinary people who came out of very ordinary vocational life. He said, "Therefore, I want you. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations." Uh, That's why we have a missions conference, by the way, Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, these new believers to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you while you're doing this. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you uh, every step of the way, even to the end of the age. So Jesus's mission is quite clear. What is his mission? Go and make disciples, go and make disciples. And so it begs the question, if that is the mission of Jesus, is that our church's mission and it absolutely should be, is it our own personal mission and that, should be as well. But sometimes, and and we don't mean to go this direction, but just sometimes people in churches, and not necessarily you, I don't think uh, many of you would have this idea, but a lot of people think, here's the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to focus on what my needs are. That is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to feed me only, to encourage me, to help me, to care for me to the exclusion of most and definitely the lost or the unchurched. It's basically carrying around this idea of what am I getting out of it? What's it in end for me? And is that the mission of Jesus that's not the mission of Jesus. Now, l- let me back up and say, uh, should churches feed believers? Absolutely. That's a core value that we have at our church. That's something that is very, very important to me. That's why as a, um, as the pastor uh, who gets the opportunity, and privilege from God to be able to just walk us through uh, the Bible week after week, it's why I love to be able to feed uh, those of you who are already Christians and try my best to do that, but also uh, to stimulate the thinking of people that may be far from God or not yet Christians so is the church to feed believers absolutely should we encourage each other absolutely the bible deals with that in great detail should we help one another absolutely and care for one another are all those things are important all of those things are important but they are not all exclusive it's not like this is what we do and none other and what is the mission of jesus and it really brings us back to the mammoth question is do lost people matter to us we know that they matter to jesus But do lost people really matter to us? Is the mission of Jesus and the mission of the church also our own personal mission? And it absolutely should be. And one of the books that Lee Strobel has written, and some of you like, I don't even know Lee Strobel. He wrote the book, I think it later became a movie, The Case for Christ, The Case for Easter. He's a former atheist. And in a book, one of the books that he's written, he mentions this. He says, a national survey by Barna Research found... That one out of every four unchurched people, listen to this, one out of every four unchurched people would gladly attend church um, if a friend would only extend an invitation. One out of every four unchurched people would gladly attend church if a friend would only extend an invitation. Strobel goes on to say, this means that on any given Sunday morning, millions of adults are sitting home because nobody took the simple step of asking them to attend a, a church service. So previously, in the last two weeks, we have talked about uh, how do we become more like Jesus? We did that. I mentioned that in week one. How do we share the gospel? We've talked about that. Now, this morning, as we wrap up this series, we're going to turn our attention to uh, inviting unchurched friends, uh, inviting spiritually lost family members to gather with us at church. And if you and I are on a mission with Jesus, which his mission is clear. And if it's Jesus's mission, it's therefore his mission for his church to go and make disciples, then if you and I are on mission with Jesus, then it certainly helps to be part of a team. And I'll come back to that in just a couple of moments. You see, there are scores of people, and I want you to think within your own network, there's a score, there are scores of people who will simply not attend church unless they're invited by a friend, unless they're invited by a family member. I read this statistic not long ago, and it just grabs your attention when you hear it, that 75 to 90% of all the people in today's churches are there because a friend or relative invited them. I want you to think about that is a huge number, that 75 to 90% of the people that are in churches today are there because a a family member, a friend invited them to attend. Now, I want you to just think about this for for just a moment. Do you think that on average, unchurched people who have no connection, no affiliation, no friends, no family members uh, necessarily uh, inviting them, do you think that the average uh, unchurched family or person says, well, here's what I'm going to do. As I go to bed Saturday evening, I'm going to set my clock to get up a little bit earlier than I typically would on a Sunday morning, And then we're going to get ready for church. And we don't really have a church. and We don't really know people that are connected to church. At least nobody's invited us to go to their church. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to get up and we're going to get in the car together. And we're just going to drive around. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going to strike out looking for a church. And then we're just going to show up somewhere. How many of you know most unchurched people are not thinking that way on Saturday night? They just simply are not. Just think back to you and your own story and experience. Yet... Yeah, there are these same people, these same people who would never think about doing that, setting their clock on Saturday night, getting up a little bit earlier than they typically would, getting in their car, striking out to find a church. Uh, That's not going to happen. But if you were to take these same people, they are much more likely to attend church as the result of an invitation. Let me share something with you. And I want you to listen to it carefully. I can read it better verbatim. I think I can communicate it more clearly than me trying to put this in my own words. More and more unbelievers first come to church because of relationships, not religion. And I think that's an important notation you and I need to make in our mind. More and more unbelievers, we're talking about unbelievers, first come to church because of relationships, not necessarily religion. They are most likely to adopt the beliefs and faith of their friends. This has, this writer says, profound implications for how we go about evangelism in the third millennium. We have switched from the old way, which means that if you have been around church for quite a long time, you probably think the old way, and the old way is the old way, and you and I who have been around church for a long, long time, we probably need to rethink the old way into the new way. We have switched from the old way when people came to church and then made friends to the new way when people make friends and then come to church. If this is so, what are the implications? And this is a very important question. If this is so, what are the implications for churches in which all the members are friends with one another, but not with outsiders? So it's, it's a shift. Old oh, way when I grew up, guess what? People would come to church and uh, they'd be attending church and then they'd make friends once they were a part of church. And that has shifted along with so many other things in society today. And now it has shifted to people come to church out of the network of friendships that they have. And this person begs the question, if, if that is so, what are the implications? If all we have in our lives are people uh, that are already Christians and we don't really have relationships with people that might be far from God. See, Christianity, when you really pause and think about it, it has always been, in a real sense, an invitation-dependent faith. Let me say that again. And I know that you're not going, ooh, like, that's wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. But it is so, so important. Christianity, when you really pause and think about it, has always been, in a real sense, an invitation-dependent faith. And I want to show you just one example of this, just one example. And I'll mention maybe one other. But I love this verse out of John's Gospel. It's a very short phrase out of John 1. It says that Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. It was an invitation from Andrew to bring Simon to meet Jesus. It all started with an invitation. Well, you keep reading through the Gospels. There are other examples. You read about how that Philip brings Nathaniel to meet Jesus. And this, and again, this is mission critical. And this invitation style of evangelism has continued now for over 2,000 years. An invitation style of evangelism where friends are bringing friends to meet Jesus, where family members are bringing relatives to meet Jesus. Uh, Bob Russell, for many years, pastored a phenomenal church up in up in Louisville, Kentucky. And in a book that he wrote, he he says this He says, when your church adopts the come and see method or an invitational style method, suddenly every person who has a role in the church has a part in evangelism. The entire church is a body attempting together to be a place of evangelism. An evangelist is not just a preacher or even someone who brings his friend, but any person who has a part in making the church an inspiring place. And I want you to just think about that. That means on any given Sunday morning here, if you're engaged in some kind of ministry, no matter what you're doing, you are a part of the evangelism process of that church. And it starts early around here. It starts at seven o'clock on Sunday morning where numerous people come in. And we'd love to have you join our team, by the way, that gets everything ready uh, for the services that are going to happening, that are going to be happening. And so it starts. And so uh, guys that are rolling out a tremendous amount of gear and cables and all kind of equipment and sound and lights and all of that, every person that is a part of the tech team is a part of the evangelism process. Everybody that is getting the cafe set up so you can receive coffee and donuts, if if you do that, if you're a part of the cafe, you're a part of the evangelism. Evangelism process because I walk by the cafe and every now and then I just feel this sudden urgency to reach out and grab a donut and I want it so badly but I'm like okay I can't I can't I can't do that but then I listen to our team is there and nobody's saying like here take a donut you know that how many of you know that that sort of negatively affects the evangelism here take take a donut for crying out loud and and so uh, people that are in the cafe uh, people that are meeting people at the door are greeters our ushers the people at the information table down in our whole kids wing everybody there that is taking care of kids so that adults can be in here and they're not just babysitting if the child is old enough to be able to comprehend spiritual matters they're talking to them about jesus they're walking them through lessons they're helping while you're learning about god and i'm learning about god and we're learning about jesus in the bible they're learning and they become a part of the evangelism process even where parents moms and dads and grandparents can be in here and can hear the gospel we all have a role to play. And so we're engaged in what is the mission of Jesus. And every person who's engaged has a part, a role to play in that. Now, before we're done with this talk in this series, I want to just quickly give you four thoughts about evangelism, about an invitation style evangelism. All right. And I want you to be sure you get them down. Just like last week, when you got down, how do we present the gospel? How do, we, how do we present the gospel? How do we initiate a conversation? How do we discern a person's? You'll remember that if you were here last week, discerns a person's a level of receptivity. At what level are they open? How do we explain the gospel? How do we ask them? Are they ready to pray and invite Christ to become the Savior and the leader of their life? We walk through that. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, in pretty rapid fashion, I'm gonna give you four principles or four considerations in invitation-style evangelism. So I know it's redundant and I'm being redundant here, not because I forgot I said this already, but because I want to emphasize the point. We started by talking about being more like Jesus, his hands, his feet, his heart, his mouth, his backbone. Last week, we talked about communicating the gospel. How do we share our faith? How do we lay it out in such a succinct way that people can understand, yeah, this is why God God created me. You remember that? God created me to love me and to have a relationship with me because God loves me, he sent Jesus. And we walked through that. So I wanna give you four thoughts around invitation style evangelism. This is when you're working on family members or friends to bring them to church. Principle number one, be sure you get this. It's really important. Number one, never say no for anyone. And I'll explain. Never say no for anyone. When you search the New Testament, there were people who everyone seemed to give up on. They just wrote them off. But Jesus did not. Lots of people wrote off tax collectors and prostitutes and Samaritans and lepers and Gentiles and the lights. And yet Jesus refused to view them as lost causes. Jesus never looked at any, you check it out in his ministry. He never looked at people that he'd just say, you know what, there's absolutely no hope for them. In fact, he even goes into a graveyard where there's there's out-of-control demoniac, and he doesn't even look at this guy as being beyond hope. So Jesus never gave up on anybody. And it's it's okay for us to just say, well, you know what? Uh, I need to be honest with myself about this. And I would just say it's a good thing. I've asked myself this question many times. Is there anyone in my orbit or your orbit, in your case, that you're tempted to give up on? Is there anybody in your world? Maybe it's somebody that just seems so uh, so uh, far from God at work. Uh, By the way, let me just add this. You don't want to be a person that is always, uh, always involved in tension and uh, combative at work. Because that is many times your platform to lead people to Jesus. Uh, And so you may have somebody at work and you're like, never, never, ever. Not a chance. They are so far from God. There's not a chance that they had ever come to faith. That person, that person is so deeply entrenched in their atheism or their agnosticism that there is no way. They, they even make fun of Christians. They make fun of God. They say things that no human being should ever say. And therefore, I, I, I think they're too far gone. Never say no for anybody. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I've asked myself that question many times. And maybe you'd say, well, is there anybody in my world? Is there anybody in my orbit that I'm tempted to give up on? For me, that person, the one that stands out more so than any other person in my lifetime was actually my own dad, my own dad. And I would communicate my faith. And it wasn't that dad was an atheist. He wasn't. And dad wasn't even an agnostic. Dad believed in God. He believed that Jesus was his son. He believed that the Bible was infallible. He just wasn't a Christian and didn't seem uh, interested in becoming a Christian. And so uh, it just seemed at times when I talked to my dad uh, about Jesus or I talked to my dad about eternity or I talked to my dad uh, about heaven or hell or something like that, it just seemed. And if you ever have relatives like this, that the more you talk to them about it and you weren't being, you know, you weren't being rude or you weren't over, you, you just were, you were doing it in the right way. But even though you were doing it in the right way, you ever have family members that the more that you talked about Jesus, the more they just seemed to go the other direction. Any of you ever had that experience? But I'm so glad that I didn't give up on my dad. I'm so glad when about three years ago that I was there. My cousin did the service. Dad wanted my cousin because he had come to faith in Christ. And um, dad didn't want me to have that responsibility. He's very proud of me and what I did and all of that. But he didn't. He made it very clear that he did not, whenever his funeral service would take place, me to do it uh, because he didn't want me to have that sort of emotional thing of doing it. So my cousin did the service. And so I could sit there with my, um, with my siblings are right beside me and just know confidently without a shadow of a doubt that my dad was in heaven with Jesus. And I'm so glad that I didn't throw in the towel. I'm so glad that I didn't assume that my dad's no answer was always going to be a no answer. And so maybe in your life, maybe it is a relative. Or maybe it's somebody at work that you're just saying they're too far gone. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's what I would call a professional sinner. They have sin perfected in a way that you have never seen. Maybe they're sinning. Maybe they are an atheist never say no it's the principle i think principle number one in invitational style evangelism never say no for anybody because this is what you and i are not privy to know we never know when a crisis will hit we never know when a door will open we never know when a heart is going to soften we never know when a mind is going to change so therefore we should never say no for anybody That's principle number one in invitation style evangelism. Principle number two, get this one down. This would be really helpful, and we need to know it. We forget this a lot of times. In invitational evangelism, it's important that we do this, that we put ourselves in the shoes of the people that we're inviting. We put ourselves in the shoes of the people that we're inviting. See, your shoes feel comfortable to you, right? Wouldn't you just hate it if I said, hey, this, uh, just to be different, here's what we're going to do. We want everybody, I want everybody at the end of the service, take off your shoes, bring them, put them up here on this area here, and I want you to go home with somebody else's shoes. You're like, not me, dude. I'm out of here. I like my shoes. I'm comfortable in my shoes we moved back to Lakeland. A lot of you know, I went to Southeastern University, graduated from there and never thought we'd be back in Lakeland. But when we came back to Lakeland, uh, numerous years ago now, Audrey was only three years old. Well, after we had been here for several months, my brother and his family came down for a visit. Audrey at that time, she's uh, about four, just turned four. And so my little nephew, her cousin, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, not Brent, Brett, uh, was the same age. So they'd come down for a weekend visit and we had a great time and we did some things. And so my brother and I, my brother Mike and I were going to take uh, Audrey and his son Brad and we were just going to go do some fun stuff with them. And my brother, Brad, real, real intelligent kid. My brother was so proud of how smart he was before we even leave the house. He says, I want you to see Brad is so smart. I want you to just see how he can read. And uh, he said, Whatever we have, and he reached and he found like a little takeout menu that was in his car, and he gave it over to Brett, and he said, "Brett, read this." And and the little guy, the little guy, I was impressed. I mean, here he is, and he's not reading every word on this takeout menu, but he's reading several words, and uh, and, and my brother, you know what he's doing? He's showing off the intelligence of his kid, <laughs> which is fine. I'm like, Audrey, we got to get you in some more reading classes or something. You know, I'm just, now I'm feeling that pressure. And, you know, he's reading all this stuff. So, uh, and he's proud. You can see my brother's proud. And then we go over to Family Fun Center. We go back in the area where they take their shoes off and they check them in and they get out and they play and all of that. So we're getting ready. We're getting ready to leave. And so you turn in your, you know, your little tag and they go and they have like a little, you know, container and they walk over to Audrey, you know, and they, are these your shoes? And she says, she just nods her head. Yeah. And she gets her shoes. So she's collecting the right shoes. Uh, I'm standing there watching all this play out. Uh, they take the little tag from my brother, for his son, and they bring out another little container and they hold this out to, to Brett. And they said, are, are those your shoes? He said, no. Now listen, I know that they're his shoes. I saw the kid wear them in the family fun center, <laughs> but he's like, no. And his, his dad's like, Brett, those are your shoes. Those are your shoes. And uh, so we go Uh, You know about our way the kids put their shoes on we're walking. I love this I'll never forget this we're walking across the parking lot family fun center going to the car and he's just walking along gingerly And this is what he says verbatim. He says they don't feel like my shoes (laughs) And because my brother was being you know a little bragging I just figured I'd have a little fun I said wow, that's amazing the little knucklehead can read but he can't recognize his own shoes (laughs) Wow, he is smart, Mike, and so we both got a laugh about that, but he was comfortable, everybody is comfortable in their own shoes, see a lot of us have been around church for so long that we forget what it's like to be a stranger to church, you just, if you've been here for some time, you just walk in, you know the drill. You know the drill. You know where you go for coffee. You know where you go for donuts. If you have kids, you know where you check them in. You know where the restrooms are. You know what theater. And a lot of people, we've been here so long that we forget what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. And there's so many different practical things that we can do to help people that are, that we're inviting to feel more comfortable and relaxed. If it's a person you say, well, hey, they're more inclined to to come to church with me if I'd pick them up, then maybe that's the suggestion you want to make. Or maybe, hey, they wouldn't want me to pick them up. They're going to want to be, you know, in their own car where in case anything weird happens in church, they can pull out of here pretty quick. So I can at least meet them in the lobby and they can sit with me. Or maybe you'd say, hey, listen, uh, come to your And afterwards, why don't we go out and have coffee together? Why don't we go out and have lunch together? And how many of you know if you invite somebody and, and uh, you take them to coffee afterwards or lunch afterwards, how many of you know who ought to pay in that scenario? You don't know? We need about. I'm I'm worried about you guys right here right now. Do you know who it ought to be? You right. So there are so many practical things. So um, when we're thinking about invitation style evangelism, never say no for anybody. Secondly, put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're inviting. Thirdly, principle number three: recognize that invitational evangelism is not a one-time event, but a process. And this is really important because you don't say, all right, you know, I'm going to invite them. I doubt they're going to come, but I'm going to invite them. And you invite them, and they don't come. And you can say, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mark them off my list. They're a no-show. You know, I invited them once, and they didn't come, and therefore I'm free and clear. No, evangelism is a process. It's a process. You see, some pretty powerful things become possible when you and I become involved in an ongoing caring relationship with somebody that's not a part of a church, that doesn't have a church home. Again, this is a process. And furthermore, these are people we're talking about. We're not talking about projects. Evangelism. (laughs) Evangelism is not about projects. Evangelism is about people. And there's a process in helping a person find their way uh, toward Christ. So commit ourselves, we should, commit ourselves to the development of friendships or relationships. And this is huge. And I'll give you one example, one great example that's just happened in the last month. I got this email four months ago uh, from a guy, great guy. I met him, met his family. And uh, his name is Josh, Josh Sharp. And he sent me an email. And this is what he said in his email. He said, hi, Jeff. It was great meeting you last week. I want to thank you for your ministry and share a couple of things with you. He said, for over a decade, I've been trying to get my mom to attend church, and she's here this morning. I saw her, and she's a wonderful lady. She's a wonderful lady. But he said, for over a decade, I've been trying to get my mom to attend church. As I'm sure you know, which I do, i have just share with you the story about my, my dad. He said, as I'm sure you know, sometimes family are the most difficult people to influence for Christ. For a long time, my mother was resistant to God because of many terrible things that had happened in her life. She has been enjoying attending church there now, and I'm thankful that she is hearing God's word preached. He said, I want to share with you how she began attending, and this is a great, great part of the story. There's a sweet lady named Cindy, and Cindy's in this service. I've seen her already and talked to her. There's a sweet lady named Cindy that lives downstairs from my mom. Over the years, she has prayed for my mom and cared for her in times of need. She prepared food for her after surgery and left kind notes of encouragement for her. She finally worked in, I love this, she finally worked in a subtle invitation to a knitting small group, which was my mom's first step into the church. Then Cindy invited her on Sunday mornings and gave her kind reminders. Eventually, my mom attended because of the relationship with Cindy. Now she's a regular attender. The power of relational invitations. Is that not an incredible story? Can we not give Cindy and this mom a huge hand? And again, I know Cindy. I've known Cindy a long time, and I've known and met this mom. She's a wonderful lady. And uh, it started with kind acts. It just started by being sensitive to needs and to a relationship. And it is what God used. See, uh, evangelism is not a one-time event. It is a process. And God used Cindy to just after. Uh, This dear lady had her surgery to bring her food, notes of encouragement, reminders, and just said, well, hey, maybe she's not gonna come to a church service first. I'll try to ease her into my small group now. And this wonderful lady is here all of the time and I see her and I think, well, you know what? She wouldn't have been here had it not been for a neighbor who knew that evangelism is not a project, but it's all about people, but there's a process. Isn't that a phenomenal story? Lastly, Principle number four. In invitational evangelism, guard your heart. We need to be certain that our heart remains soft and tender, that it never slips from our heart and from our mind, that lost people do really matter to God, and that it should matter to us as well. Again, the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is the mission of his church. And if it's the mission of Jesus and it becomes the mission of his church, and you and I are part of his church, it becomes our mission as well. Rick Warren, who wrote, purpose-driven life said this, whenever I feel my heart growing cold toward people who don't know Christ, I remind myself of the cross. That's how much God loves lost people. It was love. This is a great statement. It was love, not nails that kept Jesus on the cross. And I can just tell you from personal experience that one of the most incredible, one of the most incredible things that you will ever have occur in your life is to somehow be used by God To help a person to find their way to Jesus. Andrew brought Simon. Nathaniel brought Philip. Brought him to Jesus. There's nothing like it. Don't ever forget that when a person really meets Jesus and decides to follow Jesus, that life for them is forever changed. Need I remind you that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell and every person is going to spend eternity in one place or the other. And whenever a person really meets Jesus, whenever a person decides they're going to follow Christ, it's such a spectacular event that the Bible declares that even all of heaven throws a cosmic party of celebration. Is it worth it? You better believe it's worth it. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to become the hands and the feet of Jesus? Is it worth it to become the mouthpiece for Jesus, to have his backbone, his spine? Is it worth it to have the heart of Jesus? You better believe it. Is it worth it to verbalize the gospel to lost people? Is it worth it? You better believe it. Is it worth it to become serious about inviting people to attend church with you, it's worth it. Because maybe you'll have a similar experience as Cindy and countless others have had. That evangelism is not a one-time event, but it's a process. And we don't say no for anybody. And when we invite somebody, we stand in their shoes. We think, what would it be like I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm a, I'm a majorly, um, et, you know, extrovert kind of uh, temperament and personality. But I'm telling you, as much as that is so, I can walk into a place and normally feel at home pretty quick. But, you know, my, even though I'm that way, I can walk into a place that I'm not familiar with and I'm not familiar with what's going on and the people that are there and what's going to happen that I just, I just, sort, of, I just sort of close in. And if you have a similar kind of personality and you do that, I mean, what does that mean for somebody that just already may be a little bit shy and held back? So we don't say no for them. We stand in their shoes. And uh, we realize that evangelism is a process and we keep reaching out and reaching out because it makes a difference. Well, we're done with this series. I want to mention a couple of things really quickly. There's probably people that may be your neighbors or they may be your coworkers or they may be your friends uh, they may be family members that you have that you have a heart for. remember, guard your heart, keep your heart soft toward people uh, you know sometimes I've been around you know it's amazing to me, and this is just sort of a soapbox, and I'll deal with it for fifteen seconds and move on sometimes when I hear people talk that are like christians and supposed to be voices for christianity it's like everybody outside of the church is the enemy and i don't get that it's like it's them and us us and them that's not the mission of jesus and you and i are to be an enfolding, invitational come and see kind of church because everybody matters to god everybody so who are the two, two or three people that you can be inviting, that you can be praying for, write their name down, two or three people, and then you're gonna pray like crazy for them. And prayer, there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. And when I pray for people that are far from God, I pray that they'll become open. I pray that they'll be resistant. I pray that God will get their attention. I pray they'll be open, that if it's not me, that it will be somebody. Uh, that will just, you know, if I don't have the opportunity, I've got some relatives in other parts of town and I can talk to them about Christ, but I can't invite them to my church. And I say, God, put somebody in their path, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins that I'm praying for every single week. And, and we pray for them and there's power in prayer. Let me mention this Uh, coming up at Christmas, starting uh, December the 8th, 8th, the 15th and 22nd. I'm going to be sharing a, a Christmas series that tells the story of Christmas it's the Christmas story, but I've never since we've been in existence done three back-to-back-to-back uh, messages that are so strong in inviting people to become to uh, Christ. I've done them individually, but it's like no matter what Sunday you get them here in December, uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for them to hear the gospel and respond to Christ. So I would just encourage you, keep that in mind. Keep in mind the power of prayer, and extend uh, in an invitation. And just see what God might do. Let's stand together. So if you're here today, and it would just be a shame that if we've talked about evangelism for three weeks now, that we would end this service and not give you an opportunity to become a Christian. So would everybody bow their head? Would everybody close their eyes? close your eyes. And as your eyes are closed, maybe you're a person that you're far from God. Maybe you're a person that you don't even know what you believe. If somebody walked up to you even right now and just said, do you believe in God? You'd say, yes. You believe Jesus is his son? Yes. Are you a Christian? No. You may be a person that somebody would walk up to and say, do you believe in God? And you'd say, "Ah, I'm not really sure. I believe there's a Higher power of some kind. I believe there's a force out there somewhere. But I want you to know there's a God that's personal. He's a person. He's not a force. He's not a wind. He's not a vapor. He's a person. And He created you because He loves you and He wants to have a relationship with you. That's why He sent His Son Jesus into the world to go to the cross to take all of your sin and my sin upon Himself. And Jesus died in our place. You and I, we try to fix it. We try to make it happen. Well, I'm going to be good enough. or I'm going to do. And it just doesn't work. We come to him by faith. We receive the gift of salvation. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you don't even know all that that means at this point, but you want to receive Christ as the Savior and the leader of your life. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand real high? Put it up real high. Put it straight up in the air. And then you can put it right back down. And in your heart, pray this prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me a brand new start. There's so much I don't know about you. There's so much I don't know about your word, the Bible. There's so much I don't know about the whole church thing. But Jesus, I want to receive the gift. I want to receive the gift of salvation that you extend to me. And I pray that you'll lead me and guide me. Bring purpose and meaning and significance to my life. And I'll follow you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Love you, everybody. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.